0: Welcome, welcome, welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning on a snowy and slushy Tuesday morning here in Fort Wayne. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, with you. Thanks for being with us. Big show today. Lot to dive into. Of course, the college football playoff national championship game. We'll get to that after our other headlines of the morning. Uh, plus, Jane Steichen. Does he make a move at defensive coordinator? We'll get to that this hour. Plus. The Big Ten runs through Purdue, and I'm not just talking this season. That's obvious. But I'm talking the future as well. I think we're seeing a massive shift in in college basketball, and of course we have, but especially in the Big Ten. We'll get to that later this hour. And Jim Harbaugh, fresh off winning the college football playoff national championship game. Yeah, I think he's gone to the NFL. But the the question is, what's next for Michigan after all this? And Teddy Bruschke of all people, comes in support of Justin Fields. What he had to say, we'll get to that around 8.20, an hour number two. And Mike Nutter, Tin Caps team president, will join us at 8.35 to preview the Tin Caps promotions for this upcoming season. Just a few months away, Justin.
1: Hard Despite what it looks like outside, it yeah. feels like, yes, we're just a couple months away from Tin Caps baseball.
0: So we'll talk to him about their promotions. Uh, the schedule was released yesterday, plus hiring part-time staff, and they've done a lot of off-season work at the ballpark. Uh, for you, the fan, to make it even better, so we'll talk with him about all that. And uh, it's winter, and in Canada, the parks, uh, like the National Parks Department, uh, had to urge people to not let moose do this. Hmm. We'll get to that at the end of the show this morning.
1: All right, need to have get it. to. Yeah. today, the next four, couple hours.
0: Four six eight six two is how you reach us on the text line. Four six eight six two. You're a Michigan fan. You want to text in and gloat? Obviously, uh, feel free to do so. We um, said that text we, will we disappear.
1: Picked, you know, in two <laughs> years anyway. So, we picked Washington. We said if this was going to be a game that uh, team was going to run away, we said it was the Huskies. We were all wrong. Yeah. As uh, as Michigan got out to a quick start, the running game was working, and it wasn't Blake Corum early, and. Michigan celebrates, I know people are saying first title since 1997, I say first national, first full national title since what, 1948? 49. 49? Yeah, they had half of a championship in 97. Yeah, 19, so. I'm kind of not really counting 97. I mean, it counts, in the, in the poll era, all those counted though. They did count, I was saying full, um, unchallenged, yes. undebated National championship, first time since 1949.
0: Because Nebraska and Michigan didn't play that year. Correct. And that would have probably, I mean, we would have had a clear outright winner that year.
1: And, oh man, here come the (laughs) texts from the Michigan fans. (laughs) Hey, Um, you can gloat, Michigan fans, because admittedly, I I, I in particular, a doubter during the season, said wait till the, the end of the season when they actually have to play somebody, wait till the college football playoff, they drew Alabama. Said, all right, well, it's over now. And they conquered Alabama and they took down Washington. So congratulations Uh, to Wolverine's fans. Go blue.
0: And I was the opposite where all season I'm like, yeah, Michigan's gonna win the championship. And Uh. then once we got to the playoff, (laughs) I doubted them. So
1: Yeah, you should have stuck to your guns, (laughs) but I should have. You know, Michigan fans call your your most your your closest Ohio State fan. And for a long time, and I think this is the biggest thing for Michigan fans and maybe even just a sense of relief this morning is for so so long you had to look up to Ohio State and them winning a national championship and and being in championship games and 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 being relevant at the at the apex of college football and Michigan looking up at their rival for the first time in quite some time Michigan can gloat 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 on it's Buckeyes against its Buckeyes,
0: and Jim Harbaugh getting a tattoo as well. So, oh, go figure!
1: How about that? It'll be a lasting impression of his Michigan days as he heads to L.A. to coach the Chargers.
0: Four six eight six two. Again, your text line number four six eight six two. I love all the text coming. Keep them coming. On the
1: Keep them coming. Uh,
0: keep them coming. Keep gloating. Uh, we'll, we'll get, get them to, to, here in to a second. Yeah, more on Michigan in a bit. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com. Also on the app, free for you to download for your phone or on your smart speaker as well. And again, if you want to send us a text, just put in CK before your message uh, to the number 46862. Elsewhere in sports, and <laughs> I don't know why I'm bringing this up because... I laugh at, at this stuff every single time, but once again, you won't believe whose name is surfaced in NFL coaching uh, roundtables.
1: Um, well, I was going to say Bill Belichick, but he's still got a job. Uh, outside of Jim Harbaugh?
0: Yeah, outside of Jim Harbaugh.
1: Um, Come on,
0: it's clockwork every, every offseason.
1: Oh, Urban Meyer?
0: No. John Gruden. Oh, jeez. The Saints considering... John Gruden, not for offensive coordinator. That was a report that came out yesterday uh, considering a, a role for him on their coaching staff. They wind and dined him uh, before their Week 17 road game with Tampa Bay, which is where Gruden lives in Tampa. Um, but Gruden was previously around the team as an unpaid consultant during the 2023 training camp. Um, so keep that in mind. But again, it wouldn't be with offensive coordinators. So I, I don't know what that would be right. I mean, quarterback coach. Uh, I don't. I don't know. It's odd that he would want to come back, and that would be the role. I, I'll believe it when I see it. When it comes to Gruden in coaching anywhere again,
1: period. Yeah. Um, see if it happens. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I guess if it happens at some point, but uh, just you know, he's get, kind of getting up there, and uh, the, the further he gets away from coaching in the NFL, the less. I think he's capable of doing it. Correct. At least in a, a, I mean, it's been since what, 2020, 2021, something like that. I mean, it's only been a couple of years, but I don't know. But do you know where John Gruden went to school? High school? Uh, was it Culver? Uh, close. It was South Bend Clay. South Bend Clay. Which is now closed.
0: Yeah, I know. I know he's like Indiana.
1: Yeah. Guy, at least in high school. I think he was born in Ohio. Went to
0: Dayton. It would have been, what, his dad on the Notre Dame staff? I do believe so. So so that's why I guess Culver initially.
1: (laughs) It's that time of year where, you know, the retreads continue to be brought up in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, potential coaching candidates in the NFL, but I don't see it with John Gruden.
0: Yeah, no, I, I would be stunned if that were to happen, especially when we're talking, it wouldn't even be an offensive coordinator role uh, for John Gruden. Elsewhere in the NFL, some good news for Austin Mack is he officially signed an off season deal with the
1: Atlanta Falcons. That's phenomenal for Austin Mack. We, we we talked about it last week, about him having an opportunity to join the Falcons and didn't know how long that was going to be, but him signing a contract, sounds like he'll be there for the long term in the off season, And hopefully he's around, around training camp to try to make his mark after a great season up in the CFL with, who was he with? Montreal Alouettes? Yes. Which won the Grey Cup. So, has turned that into another NFL opportunity. So congratulations, Austin.
0: Huge news last night in the NBA. Not great news. No. Uh, John Morant having season-ending shoulder surgery uh, on his right shoulder. So he's done just after coming back. Grizzly 6-3 and three with Morant in the lineup. Go figure. So now their season is officially over. They were already struggling without him in the lineup. So that's a big loss. And then the Indiana Pacers... Who got a big win over the Celtics, one thirty three to one thirty one. Mind you, the Celtics without Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown dropped forty. The Bacers did have Tyrese Halliburton before he went down after playing just thirteen minutes. An awkward fall where he kind of did the splits almost.
1: Yeah, he was heading to the basket and was trying to stop and look to to either dish or or go the other way. And it just his foot was at an angle. And never really got traction on the floor and just slid out from under him and had to be carried off the court by his teammates. It was diagnosed as a left hamstring strain. If that's all it is, it's incredibly lucky for the Pacers because it didn't look good when he went down yesterday.
0: No, it did not. And I I saw someone who in the the medical field tweeting out, if it's a low-grade hamstring strain... A result's average time loss is about 13 days or 5 games. Um, for an in-season grade 2 uh, strain jumps to about a month or 10 games. So that is mm-hmm. a huge difference. I mean, you're doubling the games and you're doubling the impact, but hopefully it's just a short-term thing. Halliburton will undergo an MRI today on his left hamstring. So um, hopefully he's back. It looked ugly because he was carried off the court by his teammates after this happened.
1: Not ideal, and uh, for the, the you know the the Pacers' chances go down the tubes without Tyrese Halliburton. Let's just be honest. So if you're a Pacers fan, you're hoping for some good news there today or in the near future regarding Tyrese Halliburton.
0: Benedict Matherin with a big game last night, twenty six points in twenty nine minutes off the bench to lead the Pacers in that one thirty three to one thirty one win over Boston. But again, the the focus is on Halliburton going down. So the Pacers do get that win. And continuing to stay in pace, you know, battling for that fourth spot in the East uh, to get home court in the first round. But they're going to have to continue uh, to do so without Tyrese Halliburton for at least the foreseeable future. Big news in golf Tiger Woods and Nike have split. Hard hmm. to believe. Um, 27 but, years. And that initial five year, $40 million deal, which was unheard of at the time, obviously. Uh only deal Nike signed better was their shoe deal with Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah, for a long time it's been MJ and Tiger as, as the faces of of Nike and just a a powerful relationship that you know was was lucrative for both sides and an end of an era for sure. Tiger has been synonymous with Nike for almost 3 decades.
0: Woods did not say what apparel brands he plans to wear in future events. He's been wearing Foot Joy golf shoes since returning the competition from injuries he suffered in that crash outside LA in February of 2021. Um, but uh, we'll see and again Tiger was able to get that one other Masters title a couple years ago and then looked like he was back and then obviously that crash happened and just amazing he's still playing golf.
1: You have Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood still with Nike Golf but I think you're seeing maybe a, uh, I saw Jason Day left Nike golf so is it a changing of the guard I guess in terms of of um, the who's who the players uh in terms of brands in in golf so we'll have to uh to see the the updates on that over the course of the near future but Tiger Woods is is the biggest name obviously and his departure was big news yesterday.
0: And Woods had signed a ten-year extension with Nike in 2013, worth about 200 million dollars. So obviously that that ended, and now it's uh, who knows what comes next. But that Woods' deal at the time when he first signed that 40 million dollar deal was the uh, richest endorsement contract. Uh, so just a- again, hard to believe he's been with Nike since he turned pro in August of '96.
1: Which uh, I I I remember that. I mean, it was in high school. He was he was the big thing. It was it was huge, and um, you know, just a sign of things changing. And I was getting older.
0: Yeah, that too.
1: That too.
0: Uh, the Comets back here in Fort Wayne get an honor. It's been a great week for Tyler Parks. He was named the ECHL goaltender of the week. Uh, so congrats him. He went two zero oh, and zero. Oh, uh, just Half of a goal against average and a 983 save percentage. Just phenomenal week for Tyler Parks. So, congrats to him. And the 10 Caps have released their 2024 promotional schedule. Now, tickets for the 10 Caps will go on sale Thursday, February 8th. And the season starts Tuesday, April 9th. Uh, opening day, at least for Parkview Field. Uh, 6 35 p.m. First pitch against Lake County. And that one, so. Uh, look at some of the names so and some of the, the events that they have. So the Wizards throwback night is Thursday, May 23rd. Uh, the Scout overnight, Friday, May 24th. Peanut free night, Tuesday, June 4th. Uh, they'll do 10 Caps Baseball, Johnny's version. So kind of like a, a play on Taylor Swift, Friday, June 7th. Fort Wayne Daisy's throwback night, June 8th. Uh, Manzanis Luchadoris on Sunday, June 9th. Princess night, June 18th. The Hoosier State Tenderloin Series will be June 20th through 22nd. Um, meet Bluey Day, June 30th. Going to bring your son to
1: that. See a Bluey uh, guy? He has not a Bluey guy, thankfully, yet. I've heard good <laughs> things about Bluey, I have but to. I haven't had to watch it yet. Um, they're going to have a TV sitcom
0: night featuring actor Jim O'Hare, which he is from Parks and Recreation. Jerry, Larry, Terry, Gary, uh, Gergich. Uh, that's Friday, July 5th. Superstars, July 6th. Harry Potter Night, July 19th. Uh, Fireworks, July 20th with Three Rivers Festival. Uh, Let's see, what else? Any other? Uh, Star Wars Night, August 16th. My favorite. And the Salute to Baseball Movies Night featuring actor Chauncey Leopardi, a.k.a. Squints. Nice. That's Friday, September 6th. Uh, Superstars will be there July 6th and September 7th as well. Several other, obviously, promotions, but that's some of the highlights on the list.
1: Some uh, some old standards that are that are that are big draws and some new stuff and it's um it's a delicate balancing act to get all those in and and what you want to continue to bring back and things you want to try and we'll talk to Mike Nutter about all that in the second hour. That's right, four six eight six two your text line number again, four six eight six two.
0: And time to give the the full attention to the college football playoff national championship game, Michigan. Your. 2023 20, national champions as they take down Washington. 34-13 in a game that was much closer than the final score until really the, the final few minutes of that fourth quarter. Uh, but for the Wolverines, it was a hot start. Donovan Edwards had a, a, a big run. Blake Cor- Corum had a big run. In fact, Edwards had two big runs. So he ran for over 100 yards. And it looked like this was going to be a blowout. I mean, you blink and it's 17-3 right yeah and then Washington got it to within a possession at halftime at 1710 it was back and forth in the third 20 to 13 going into the fourth and this was a game where it it felt like to me outside of the first quarter and and the final few minutes of the fourth this was a very even matchup but Washington had so many opportunities and they just could not make the most of
1: it just sat 1710 for a long time yeah Washington couldn't take advantage and that's credit the Michigan defense and we felt yesterday well finally Michigan's going to have to face a high-flying offense the likes that they haven't seen quite yet this season and while Michael Penix Jr. did throw for 255 yards and a touchdown didn't really feel that way because of the abilities of the Michigan defense and uh, completely took the run game away from Washington uh, Michigan runs for over 300 yards in the game and set the tone with Donovan Edwards early and then Blake Corum also goes over 100 yards and a couple touchdowns. It was a, um, a very impressive performance by the Michigan Wolverines. And I think the key to it, in my opinion, was defensively and, and defending the past, putting pressure on Michael Penix Jr., making Washington one-dimensional and this morning a lot of people are celebrating a national championship for the Wolverines.
0: Yeah, Michael Penix Jr had two interceptions, one of them late. So, yeah, but really just ineffective. 27 to 51, 255 yards, only one touchdown. He missed a wide open a Adunza on a
1: fourth down play. That I felt was the Not the turning point, but the first time where it was like, Washington's really in trouble here. Yes. Because they're not taking advantage of their limited opportunity because they had very few.
0: Then in the fourth quarter, it felt like Washington was going to have a chance in this game, and they get a huge throw to Adunza, uh, and then it was called back for a very questionable holding call, and then that was it. I mean, they couldn't get a first down. I mean, that was on a third down, so then it's third and long. They can't get the first. Michigan then drives right down the field uh, after getting the ball back uh, to really seal the game at that point that gave him that two possession lead and that was it so you know we went in, into this game saying you know it's a battle of the trenches great defensive line for michigan great offensive line for washington i would say michigan won that battle a lot of pr- not because of these these sacks or anything but michigan got constant pressure and also forced Washington into multiple false starts that really set them behind yeah. the chains.
1: Yeah, it was especially early on where some some drives were really stalled because of uh, those penalties, and just just Washington looked out of sync all night. And that's credit to Michigan and being being able to put them in those positions. They they couldn't run the ball, as I said. It was very very much a Michael Penix Jr. night in terms of if, if anything was going to happen, he was going to have to do it. And, and credit. Again, that Michigan secondary that was phenomenal, and it was it was strength on strength with Washington's offense against Michigan's defense, and Michigan's defense showed up. And I think, I think for all the doubters, and it, 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 definitely a trying year for Michigan, both of course off the field, but really on the field too. In terms of they were they had to answer to doubters all season long, of which I was one of them, and they continued to roll through every challenge and now they have their first national championship uh, undisputed national championship of the modern era
0: and you you look at this game i mean washington from their first offensive play felt like they were in trouble because dylan johnson who had already been battling injuries went down had to sub out of the game was looking if he if he'd even return he did but he was clearly ineffective from that point just no burst and, and he was a guy who had an outstanding season for Washington. I mean, he, he won that USC game. I know a lot of talk went to Pennix all year, but he was a guy who really closed games for them with his ability to run the football. And that was a, a problem for Washington. And you could tell right away and that they would be truly one-dimensional last night. And, and they were after that. And then for Michigan, 174 yards rushing just in the first quarter. I mean, it felt like we had a blowout on our hands That was the most yards Washington had allowed in a game all season, let alone a quarter. And for this to at least be competitive for, what, three and a half quarters uh, was a
1: surprise. It was because it was in those middle two quarters, you were waiting either for Michigan to completely run away or Washington to come back. And you felt like 17-10 at halftime that Washington had Michigan at least figured out somewhat and was going to be able to take advantage and did not score a touchdown in the second half. And I think a lot of of credit has to go to Jesse Minter because we've seen Washington over the course of the season been able to identify, pinpoint, and attack mismatches for their offense against opposing defenses. And it felt like Michigan and their defense was always one step ahead of whatever Washington was doing last night. First with that running game. Second, in terms of what Michael Penix likes to do, the downfield plays, I mean, they really were able to to contain Roma Dunza for the most part. I mean, still had 87 yards receiving, but just never seemed to have that breakout play that you were waiting for.
0: Yeah, and, and the breakout play that he did have was late when the game was already, you know, essentially you know, all, decided. All
1: decided. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that that potential fourth down play in which he was missed, that, that could have been it. Probably would have been it. But it always seemed like the Michigan defense was the position of strength. It's almost like they they were dictating the game and, and, and Washington was trying to adapt to what Michigan was doing as opposed to all season long, Washington has forced defenses to adjust to what they were doing. So credit, tremendous credit to Jesse Minter for a great, great game plan.
0: And it wasn't just the pass rush for Michigan as far as you know, flushing Penix out of the pocket. It was also the fact that I, I've never seen Penix look so inaccurate right. in a game. Right. A lot of high throws, a lot of throws just out of sync. Um, and and that was due to Michigan Michigan's pass rush. They weren't blitzing a whole lot, right? That's not what they do. No. But it was just they're just mixing up pre-snap looks and and it was clear that Washington was not adjusting to what Michigan was throwing at them.
1: Michigan pre-snap was just adjusting things and really throwing everything they possibly could in terms of confusing Michael Penix, and it, and it worked. Uh, Washington had as many third down, 4th uh, down conversions as they had third-down conversions. Michigan wasn't much better, but what worked for Michigan offensively was that running game. J.J. McCarthy, I felt if Washington had forced Michigan into a situation where... They had to, Michigan had to play from behind. I was unsure if JJ McCarthy was gonna have be able to come back, but he never had to prove that. He just had to be efficient and not turn the ball over because Michigan's running game was able to be so effective, over three hundred yards. So that's what happened offensively for Michigan. You you dictated the pace and uh, with the run game, and then defensively. You were really the the facet of the game that really decided it, in my opinion. Yesterday, we both felt, okay, Michigan is going to be, I don't know, exposed is the right word, but at least would have to be, Challenge. really be challenged by Washington's offense. Instead, it was the other way around. And I think that's a Michigan defensive unit that maybe has been undervalued and underappreciated all season long that came into its own in the college football playoff.
0: And for Michigan offensively, this is a style of play and a setup for a team that was counter to everything you see in college football outside, of course, Notre Dame style offensively. And it's great line play, running attack, having quarterbacks who are experienced and can make plays when needed. But it's not highlight real stuff when it comes to the passing game and Michigan last night. McCarthy, just 10 of 18, 140 yards. But he yeah, had that huge run in the fourth quarter. He made throws when he had to. Um, he was efficient, right? Doesn't turn over the ball. So I think that's the other thing is we saw a style of play as opposed to getting a transfer quarterback and having an elite passing attack, which we've seen time and time again in college football. I mean, you go back to Joe Burrow in LSU, right? Several years ago. Obviously, we, we saw... Um, Michael Penix Jr. in that attack with Washington. We, we saw what LSU did this year, and even last year with Jaden Daniels. So this was counter to the the makeup of top college football teams because Michigan had a lot of homegrown recruits. Yes, they had some transfers. And a transfer tied in from, from IU and AJ Barner, for example, who's a key contributor uh, for them. But this is largely a team that Michigan recruited, developed, And then they were able to perform. And and yes, it was the third time being the charm as far as winning a national championship after getting to the college football playoff of the two previous years. They develop in-house. And and these were not elite recruiting classes. They were good recruiting classes, but they weren't elite. And so we saw a Michigan team basically kind of turn what everyone said you had to do in college football and, and win a title anyway.
1: You, we've talked about what the, the formula is to win championships in the NFL and, and how a paramount importance a franchise quarterback is. But you can still win championships in college football with a really good defense and a really good running game and a quarterback that is good enough to make plays when he needs to and not make too many mistakes. And that's basically what Michigan did this year. Blake Corum scores at least one touchdown in every single game this season on the ground. It was a running attack that was very, very efficient. It was a defense that was incredibly disciplined and stingy all season long. And it was a quarterback in J.J. McCarthy that did just enough, and 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 sometimes more than enough. We, we've got to give justifiable credit to J.J. McCarthy. I mean, McCarthy. In, in
0: the Alabama game, I feel like he did more than enough
1: at the end. I would agree, yes. I, I think... You look at when you had to lean on J.J. McCarthy when you're Michigan, he always came through. But the offense did not run through J.J. McCarthy. It ran through Blake Corum. But it, 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 it's almost a throwback to to classic college football, and it proves that you can still win a national title playing that way, and congratulations to the Wolverines for doing it. So
0: just a what turned out to be a dominant final score that was close at least in the second and third and first half of the fourth quarters of this game and for Michigan, uh, it's it's a big win for the Big Ten too is in the tenth year of the college football playoff we we had you know all a lot of Southern teams represented outside of that first year with Oregon and, and Ohio State and yeah and now. This is the Big Ten maybe flexing their muscles again as they add Washington and Oregon and USC and UCLA, and it's going to be a different era starting next year, not only for the Big Ten, but also the SEC and a lot of conferences, and maybe this was a final exclamation point for a previous era with Michigan winning, or maybe it's a sign of things to come and another shift in college football after it was dominated by the SEC and, and teams in the South for the previous decade.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a fundamental shift or anything. We'll see what it is. Obviously, way too soon to say that. I think it's, it is it is for the Big Ten, the first non-Ohio State National Championship since Michigan in, 19, in 1997, so it, it is a big deal for the Big Ten, particularly heading into expansion as well. But um, yeah, who, who would have thunk, and, and plenty of, of texts coming in this morning, and you can continue, Michigan fans, to let us know what you think. 46862. Also, come on, Ohio State fans. Where are you? Come on. Is, is there one iota of giving Michigan credit, or is that just, uh, y- is that sacrilege in terms of that rivalry? Let us know. 46862. CK, when my mother said cheaters never prosper, apparently she was wrong based on what we saw last night in college football. Uh, what's the old adage? If you're not cheating, you're not trying?
0: Yeah. And in college football, uh, <laughs> Everyone is essentially cheating it's, among yeah, the top. Programs. Yeah,
1: but it's like, you know, I, I've always kind of scoffed at the seriousness of the Michigan issues.
0: The, the thing I don't get about all of that, and I don't want to get into that debate really, right. but it's just like it, like they didn't need to do it. Right. No, but you never know. I mean, in like they had a bad yeah, year in, in 2020, but 2020 was not a sign of anything for any team.
1: Yeah, just ask IU. It was an,
0: an, an a complete anomaly. So Michigan losing to I.U. And IU beating, you know, Michigan Penn State, uh, nearly beating Ohio State. Um, I think they there's another marquee team they beat that year as well that I can't think of off the top of my head. But it, it like that didn't mean anything in the long run. And so Michigan didn't need to panic for what happened in twenty twenty. Uh, I will say this though about last night's game. Um Washington's defense played out of its mind.
1: (laughs) Uh, It did. Early on, it was missing tackles, which was The first quarter,
0: they were bad. The rest of the game, outstanding. Middle
1: two, they they gave every opportunity to the Huskies' offense to make something happen. Held Michigan to two field goals through the middle two quarters, and Washington couldn't do anything on offense. And having to settle for field goals, especially in that third quarter, was really doomed them because at 1710 I felt like Washington was in a good spot and they never scored another touchdown
0: and I will also say this the officiating uh, when they said ACC refs on the broadcast I chuckled to up myself your hands and said uh, because I can't recall so many missed holding calls in a game but yet the holding call they called on Washington was uh, a stretch to say
1: the least the ACC officials always always interesting to watch yeah ACC there's no consistency like, yeah.
0: they'll, they'll call a game one way in the first half and change in the second half, as, as we know. Uh, that's typical to what they do. So the fact that they made a bogus call at a critical point in the game after not calling it the entire game before that was not shocking.
1: <laughs> CK, all you haters better put some respect on Michigan's name. Lots of tears in Buckeye land. Michigan beat everybody, which they did. Also, uh... <laughs> if you have a kid under five and have not watched Bluey, what are you doing with your kids? <laughs> um, well, he's he's like what is he? 14 months, 13 months, I think. So he's not yeah, yet, he's not
0: yet old and, enough. And
1: trust me, Miss Rachel is is absolute go to in our house right now. Um, and it was funny, kind of last night. So we, we were like, I, I, at some point, I just have to get rid of Miss Rachel. I can't watch anymore. So we had SpongeBob on, which me and my older son love, and we're watching. I think my. My youngest was like, "What? What is this?" That was Rachel. But I, I'm sure we'll get the bluey at some point, but not there yet. Um, CK, how does this affect Connor Stallion's <laughs> legacy? Um,
0: was he at the game? Did someone spot him? Uh, I didn't. I didn't see any social media posts of someone spotting him at the game. Uh, which was funny that he just so happened to be at the Rose Bowl. Go figure.
1: Uh, yeah, all CK, all the haters are silent. Business is finished. Hail to the victors! So, congratulations, yes, Michigan fans, it's your day to gloat. So, let us know four six eight six two. We both picked Washington to win. So, let us know how how dumb stu- we dumb are. Dumb we are. Stupid. I mean, we know all this, but uh, um, make sure you're reaching out to us, and also you know, make sure you're reaching out to your favorite Ohio State fan as well this morning. Just a rivalry that keeps on giving.
0: Absolutely,
1: and for so long. Ohio State, and, and that's why it's it's more I think relief than jubilation for Michigan fans. It's for so long they've just had to to sit there and and swallow all of Ohio State's vitriol and their fans because there like, was just- even they when they nothing. had
0: success against them, you know, they still couldn't point to any championships. Right? They
1: couldn't. It was always the and that's kind of where I feel and and this is you know you look at Purdue and IU and IU always comes back to the the banners and and Purdue always talks about Dusty banners and they're true because there's no modern ones, but Ohio State had that, right? They could always point to national titles, two of them in recent years, and Michigan just didn't have anything, and and there was never any comeback for it. And now Michigan can stand there and go toe-to-toe with Ohio State fans. And I'm not part of the rivalry, but I've seen how uh, real intense the rivalry can be with, uh, with our rec league at OPS, and and our our teams are modeled after after college mascots, so we have the, the Buckeyes and the Wolverines and the Hoosiers and, and Boilermakers. I felt like the biggest thing would be IU and Purdue. No. No. The biggest thing is Ohio State-Michigan, or Ohio State a, a, in terms of the Wolverines and the Buckeyes. If a Michigan fan is on the Buckeyes, there's a problem. If an Ohio, Ohio State fan is on the Wolverines, there's a problem. Even the coaches— Uh, I don't want to be the Wolverines. I'm an Ohio State fan. Uh, It's it's real. And for the first time in a long time, Michigan fans, you can stand equal with your friends from Columbus this morning.
0: 46862. Again, you can continue to gloat or express your disappointment on the text line after this game. 46862 is the text line number. Coming up on the other side, Does Shane Steichen make a move at defensive coordinator? That's next here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan, and 100.9 FM. Keeping it smooth here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Is this Wham's best non-Christmas
1: song? Because I said. (laughs) Yes. It is, but you said Last Christmas was their best song overall. That's what I think. But I think this is their top non-Christmas song. Careless Whisper this morning.
0: I, I mean, that's not a controversial take, but I think putting "Last Christmas" over
1: yes, that would be Careless controversial. Is, yeah. is
0: a a controversial I take get it. for sure.
1: I get it for sure. But thanks for uh, for listening to us this morning. If you're out on the roads, uh, be careful. We're seeing a lot of uh, school closings today.
0: Roads were slushy. It wasn't particularly icy, just slushy. But like, obviously, slow down. Take your time. You'll be fine.
1: Yeah. First. Don't drive like an idiot. Yeah, first snow, you always have morons out there. I expected more carnage on 469 than what I saw, so kudos to the drivers out there, because you never know on 469. But um, it was equal parts slush, ice, snow, so it's just kind of messy. But turn it over into rain now if it hasn't yet soon, and then it'll just be uh, a mess the rest of the day, but getting away from the snow and ice. But uh, another storm coming potentially on Friday night. So, you know... Welcome to January.
0: Yeah. And after not much snow last winter, perhaps we're making up for it this winter.
1: Yeah, perhaps, but I think we've been lucky at least early on with um, more rain than snow. We'll see if that continues heading into the weekend, if it can just be warm enough to be rain instead of the white stuff. But be careful if you're out there, but thanks for tuning in this morning, especially you Michigan fans who are over the moon this morning with the Wolverines national championship
0: and feel free to continue to gloat on the text line at four, six, eight, six, two, again, four, six, eight, six, two, just put in CK before your comments. And, uh, we'll, uh, read those, get, get to them throughout the course of the show this morning. So from the college football, which wrapped up last night to the NFL, which wrapped up Saturday night for the Colts. And today, could we see a move by Shane Steichen at defensive coordinator? Steichen says he believes in continuity. Uh, I believe Steichen is set to speak to the media today. Later on, they, kind of their their after season wrap up. But Gus Bradley was of course not hired by Shane Steichen. So you got to keep that in mind. But they spent four years together on the Chargers staff. You take a look at the numbers for what Bradley did this year. It's not great. 28th in scoring defense, 24th in yards per game. They did have 51 sacks which was 5th in the NFL. It was also a single season franchise record. Uh, but those numbers aren't good. Then you add in the fact that they're not a blitzing secondary, which is, I mean, that's just up to whatever the coordinator, their style, that's fine. But the the, really, the issue was the secondary was young and very inexperienced and injured quite often. And that hurt them. Then you have the fact that you have Grover Stewart, who was suspended to the Colts, bring him back. He he could cost a lot and same with Kenny Moore, the Colts bring him back. So you, you look at this Do you make a change at coordinator if you're the Colts and and Shane Steichen or do you keep it because I'm not in favor of making a change just to make a change. It's not like they were horrendously bad, right? And you also like they knew the secondary would be bad going into the season. I mean, when you're counting on Juju Brents, who was often injured, but a rookie who, yes, when he was healthy, generally played well, did not look good Saturday night before he got hurt again. But this is a situation where you knew that would be a weak spot, and it was, but you also knew the defensive line would be a strength until Grover Stewart went out with that suspension. So, uh, again, I don't think you make a change just to make a change. I, I say run it back one more year.
1: Which I feel would be the case if you don't bring back Gus Bradley. Like, like really, what did Gus Bradley do to not deserve another season? Because I look at that, that personnel on that Colts defense— it's not very deep in terms of stud players. Your defensive front is your best unit. And then Zaire Franklin. And then Zaire Franklin. The back end, while it has some solid guys, has a lot of youth, but I, I just have a hard time looking at that defense and say, yeah, it underperformed. I mean, this is a team that went from four wins to nine wins and was on the cusp of winning the division if it could beat Houston based on what happened in the Jacksonville game. To me, that says this franchise heading in the right direction. I don't make any changes, so I, I really don't think there's much of an, uh, a chance at all that Gus Bradley loses his job. I think this is more more fan speak and 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 demanding more out of their coaches and putting less. I guess it's less real. They have uh, uh, shockingly fans have unrealistic expectations. I kind of look at that defense. I kind of what do you, what do you expect? I mean, this is not an elite unit. And I don't think that's on the coaching staff necessarily because I don't think they have enough elite players on the defensive side of the ball.
0: And if Siken says he believes in continuity, I'm going to take him at his word at that. And uh, I don't expect to change. I I really don't. Now, the question of who to bring back, I think you find a way to bring back Grover Stewart despite what happened with that suspension. I don't know if you bring back Kenny Moore. Yeah. Now, I get that you're weak in the secondary, but it, it... is a nickel corner really worth paying a ton of money for, right? I mean, that's really my issue.
1: Well, I mean, corner is becoming more and more important in the NFL with with the, the passing games and all that stuff. I just don't know if if Kenny Moore, are you starting to see, after a better year than last year, that's for sure, um, is he still as effective as he was in 2020, 2021? would be my thing. And especially with these new corners coming up is, is that a, a position where you can say, yes, we're going to go completely young, largely young, because you're going to have to throw sizable money at Kenny Moore. Well, then what do you do with the Forrest Buckner? Okay. Then you have to figure out on the other side of the football, what are you doing with Michael Pittman jr? Sounds like they want to bring him back, but are they going to bring him back as a one that's money that you have to throw out there. So h- how willing are the Indianapolis Colts to lock up their own players? Because you don't think everybody is going to get a fresh deal, so is Kenny Moore in? Is Kenny Moore out? I think it's a very big question. But the fact that he is—he's more of a nickel corner than a a top two corner. While you need, while you need depth at that position, I don't know if you're paying your nickel corner big money.
0: Yeah, and that's really my issue because you would expect Juju Brents to to be, hopefully, your your top corner. Obviously, you want to see him get healthy and stay healthy. I think that's going to be big. You have Julian Blackman, who's established himself at safety. Nick Cross, who's established himself getting some some run late in the season. So you feel pretty good about those. It's it's the number two corner, right, where you just – you don't really have anything. Uh, Tony Brown, who was suspended alongside Isaiah McKenzie for a violation of team rules, he was cut yesterday. Um, Daryl Baker Jr. is clearly not the answer, Right. right. So that's really that question mark as far as that number two corner. And then obviously Kenny Moore is the nickel, uh, what they do with him. But I would be surprised if they bring him back.
1: Yeah, I would agree. But the Colts have money to play with. Right now, they sit at $72 million under the cap for 2024. There's only three teams right now that have more cap space than the Indianapolis Colts. How do they weaponize that? Do they use the majority of it to lock in potential free agents in terms of their own free agents? Do they use it to go out and bring in free agents? Do they, do they use a little bit of both? I'm surely that's what they'll do, but what do they focus on? The Colts going into the offseason after all the exit interviews and all that stuff are done. How do they look at 2023 and how it affects 2024? Do they look at it and say, okay, With the guys that we have potentially hitting free agency, we have to make sure that we lock these guys up. Or do they look at it and say, for us to take the next step, we need to make an appreciable uh, uh, investment in free agency with other guys. I think that's one of the biggest questions for the Indianapolis Colts. Because they've been hesitant in years past to make big splashes in free agency. They really like to keep their players pretty close to the, to the franchise, for better or for worse. But I think there's some decisions to make for the Indianapolis Colts with the guys that are set to hit free agency on whether they're long-term answers and long-term Colts.
0: And, and the decisions are you know, between Kenny Moore and Grover Stewart and Michael Pittman Jr., Gardner Minshew, Right? Like these are the the tough decisions. And obviously I don't expect all those guys to be back. It's just a matter of what they do with all that money. You said over seventy million dollars in cap space, which is one of the most in the NFL. So they have an opportunity and you would think they bring back Gardner Minshew, right? To have a
1: I would hope more than
0: capable backup quarterback is becoming not a luxury. But a necessity in today's NFL. It used to be a luxury, right? Now it feels like a necessity. It is absolutely a necessity. Uh with with how quarterback play has changed the last, you know, five, ten years. Um you would think Grover Stewart, with how effective the Colts were with him in the lineup compared to without, you bring him back. Still on the younger side. So Kenny more? I'd be surprised if he's brought back. Um there's several other key free agents, so this is again this offseason is is going to be interesting and, and Michael Pittman Jr. It, to me feels like a toss-up. The Colts seemingly keep their people, right? But they didn't already re-sign him to an extension like they, they did with Jonathan Taylor, so that tells me all I need to know.
1: 46862, the text line 46862. CK, when your GM doesn't put a priority on having talent at wide receiver, it should be no surprise he doesn't put a priority on having talent at quarterback or cornerback. I will push back a little bit. I think I think Chris Ballard has made investments in wide receiver. I think you could you could question who he's brought in. But I think when you when you have Michael Pittman Jr., you drafted, you you brought in Alec Pierce. You were hoping for more there. You you drafted Josh Downs. I think that's an investment at the position. You could say maybe the wrong investments, but I think that's been an investment. And I think at cornerback too, there's a lot to like at that position. It's just young. And I think for for those that that like to pile on Chris Ballard, I think you do have to give him credit at both of those positions in drafting, reasonably decent. I think the wide receiver core. All you have to do is add a one, and I think they're set.
0: <laughs> Someone else texting in at four six eight six two. They got to resign Pittman. I just got his jersey for Christmas.
1: <laughs> yes, and and uh, if if there's a case, and maybe Chris Ballard is just the same thing. I just got Ballard, or I just got Michael Pittman's jersey, so they need to sign him. So. We'll see what the Indianapolis Colts do. It, it's, it, um, it will be a, a off-season of interest, not necessarily the same way as last year was, but the big question is still Anthony Richardson, but there are other questions on who you're giving big money to. Do you throw big money at Michael Pittman? Do you throw big money at DeForest Buckner? Do you throw big money at, uh, at a Julian Blackman? Do you throw big money at a Kenny Moore? Which of those guys is going to get a big payday and which of those is going to be looked at as expendable and allowed to walk for the Indianapolis Colts that then use their 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 free or their cap money on free agents? And will Gus Bradley be a part of the defense? I think so. I think so. I think that's more of a, a fan-driven, media-driven kind of narrative. I don't think Shane Steichen is making a move there. I think if you make sizable investments in terms of personnel on that side of the football, and they're still 24th in the league, uh, like they were this year, then maybe you make a move after next year. But I thought Gus Bradley handled that defense pretty pretty well. Considering the circumstance. Considering the circumstance. You get a really solid defensive front when it's all healthy, all on the field. And I think you have a burgeoning unit on the back end that could use a veteran or two. And maybe that's where you look at bringing Kenny Moore makes sense in that respect. But uh, an impact uh, off-ball linebacker potentially would be huge for this team. I think I mean, just a tackling machine that can that can carry the middle of the defense. I know Zaire Franklin has kind of emerged, but he's not that really that type of player. So we'll see what Indianapolis does. But Gus Bradley being dismissed when you were a, a a couple plays away from winning the division, I just don't see that.
0: Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap up this hour as college basketball shifted in the Big Ten away from one program to another. I think so. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up hour number one here on a Tuesday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. If you miss anything in hour number one, we talked Colts. Do they make a move at Gus Brad- uh, with Gus Bradley, a defensive coordinator? Uh, also, of course, recapping the college football playoff national championship game. You can always catch up on the podcast. It'll be up around 10, 30, 11 o'clock this morning, and usually each and every morning after the show. You can find it and download for free on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. College basketball, Purdue and IU both in action tonight. Purdue with a tough one at Nebraska. IU at Rutgers. and they end the streak there? Uh, but looking at the Big Ten, and I, I feel like we're seeing – a fundamental shift at the top of the conference, Michigan state, Tom Izzo. I don't think he's the top coach in the top program anymore in this conference. I I really don't. It feels like after, uh, what they've done this season, they've returned a ton of talent. It almost feels like college basketball has passed him by. He's railing against the transfer portal. The 25 straight NCAA tournament appearances are in jeopardy. He said he was embarrassed with their loss against Northwestern they're 1-3 in the Big Ten. We saw Coach K retire, Rui Williams retire, Jay Wright retire, all kind of coming in line with the transfer portal coming on board, which I find fascinating. I get that two out of those three guys were at retirement age as it was. But is Izzo next? Like, Is, is this it for him in East Lansing? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if he's going to retire, but it, it feels like his – his run has is come and gone.
1: Maybe I don't know. I I think it's way too early. Four games into a Big Ten season to start saying this is going to happen and that's going to happen. I think if if I follow you, I think you, you're 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 going to talk about Purdue. I'm yeah, really I, interested I think about. Hayner. Well, I'm interested in what Purdue looks like post ED. I mean, is is my thing. I mean, yeah, they've been they've been absolutely dominant the last two years. That's, that's what separated themselves from the rest of the Big Ten. But I don't think they're going to be as dominant as they, they have been once Edie leaves. If, if they are, then yeah, absolutely. But I think it's way too early to look at Purdue as... Uh, uh, Purdue has established itself at the top of the Big Ten because of Zach Edie. At least the last two years. Matt Painter deserves a lot of the credit of getting Purdue to where it was, but Zach Edie has taken it to another level. And when he's gone does Purdue go back down to the the Michigan States and the Wisconsin's and the Illinois, or does it stay a step above? And I think that's the big question that, that I'm not sure about.
0: I feel pretty confident that this is Purdue is a program now.
1: Yeah. uh, Text coming in, pump the brakes. Let's see what Purdue does without Edie. That that's, that's my thing is, is we're putting Purdue on this pedestal because of what they've done the last two years. And they've had the, the, the best player in college football or college basketball the last two years. What do they do post Edie? They'll still be a contender in the big 10. I'm not saying they're all of a sudden going to be eighth in the big 10, but I don't think they're games above everyone else in the big 10 standings like they were last year. And they're going to be this year.
0: Well, I'm saying Purdue is the program that takes over the consistency and the winning culture away from Michigan state, it, it, you know, at or near the top of the big 10 year in year out because painter, I think is becoming the best coach in that conference and Purdue's becoming the best program in that conference. And I don't think it's just a Zach Eady thing. I really don't. I think Painters has created a system, and he's been able to recruit and develop the way he wants. They have talent coming in every year that you feel like can make an immediate impact. Maybe not be a star, but make an immediate impact, and, and, and guys become key pieces. I mean, remember years ago, it used to be for Purdue, you're like, okay, by their junior or senior year, you feel like, Guys can make an impact in Painter's system. Now we're seeing it with freshmen and sophomores, which I think is a, a huge change. And I also think that with Izzo, I mean, Michigan State plays at Illinois, a one in four Big Ten start. This is a team that had a ton of talent, was top five going into the season. It just seems like everything is unraveling. And how much longer does Tom Izzo want to do this? Right? I, I just I I'm not buying into the fact that oh. They'll figure it out this season because I don't think Michigan State's figuring it out this season. And I don't know if Tom Izzo, who is railed against the transfer portal, is going to have success moving forward. Because, well, we've seen how that's played out for, for other coaches, right? You, you got to work the system.
1: Yeah, I just, uh, it hasn't been a good season for Michigan State. But they got to the Sweet 16 last year. They lost overtime in the Sweet 16 game to, who they play? Kansas? Kansas State. Kansas State. I, I don't know if, if I'm pushing the panic button on Michigan State yet. It, this season, yes. All of a sudden, a referendum on Tom Izzo and and the program and and what it is, I, I'm not there yet.
0: Here, here's my thing. This is like everyone came back for Michigan State. Like They have so much well, no, talent I get on, it. on this team. It's
1: a disappointing team. It's a yeah. disappointing, but I, I don't think it's all of a sudden – Saying that Tom Izzo's done at Michigan State, or or they're—I'm they're not
0: saying he's going to get fired. I'm saying he is either going to ride it out for a handful of more seasons, and they're not going to be the same team, or
1: why can't he's it going just, to retire? Why can't it just be a blip on the radar? And they had a disappointing season this year because that's not
0: that's not what's happening here.
1: Well, yeah, it is. It's just one year. This is
0: one year that's setting the tone for what's you, to what. That's come. what you're
1: saying. You, yes. you think it's it's okay?
0: Yes, I think this. I think this season is a sign of what's to come. And I think Tom Izzo is one of those old-school coaches.
1: I just don't know if he fits in college basketball in 2024, to be honest. I can't argue with that. I think he is one of the old-school guys, but I'm not ready just because Michigan State is underperforming that uh, Michigan State has done. And I also have questions about Purdue, is where are they at after Edie is gone? They're not a, a, a perennial top, a Final Four type team like they have in the last two years.
0: Text at 46862. Woody found out just how many warts a generational talent in TJD. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis covers up. Painter will be in the same situation next year. He's a superior coach, but it won't be as easy next
1: year. To have a player like Zach Eady to where, okay, if everything else breaks down, just get it to the huge guy in the middle. That has been the MO for Purdue the past couple years. They have a great supporting cast for sure, but it absolutely helps when you have the best player in college basketball for two straight years. I'm not saying all of a sudden Purdue is going to start missing tournaments like like Indiana does and will this year, but I, I see a drop back into the the thick of the Big Ten with the Michigans and the Illinois and the Wisconsins, Michigan States. We'll see.
0: We shall see, but if Purdue wins at Nebraska tonight... Big Ten is I, I'm I'm ready to just oh, hand Big Purdue the, over. The, the, the the trophy.
1: I entered the season with everybody at zeros in the Big Ten, saying this is this is uh this is Purdue's league. I mean, we we mentioned it before it started that the only uh, potential team to challenge them was Michigan State, and they have a whole wealth of problems. So yeah, Purdue is barring injury, nobody's touching the Boilermakers in the Big Ten. They're going to lose here or there. Okay. And, and they could lose against Indiana, and, and that'll be what Hoosiers fans have to talk about all season long because they won't do anything else. But Purdue's winning the Big Ten.
0: <laughs> Seems like we have one person on your show that is a Purdue lover and can't be objective about other teams. <laughs> if you're saying I'm a Purdue lover, you're, you're incorrect.
1: <laughs> Usually I'm accused of being the Purdue lover. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. All right,
0: coming up on the other side... All right, Michigan fans, you celebrate your championship, but next season's going to look a whole lot different. What's next for Michigan football? That's coming up on the other side as we kick off hour number two here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This hour on the show, Michigan national champs, what's next for Michigan in 2024, plus Teddy Bruski goes off in support of Justin Fields, what he had to say. And Mike Nutter, 10 Caps team president, will join us about 8.35 to discuss 10 Caps Promotions, the promotional calendar released for 2024, plus they're making some hires and off-season work at the stadium. We'll talk about all that and more with Mike Nutter. And before we leave you, uh, the Parks Department in Canada is urging people to not let Moose do this. <laughs> get to that. At the end of the show. 46862 is your text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in CK for your question, comment, rant, whatever you have for us on the text line. Again, CK, uh, then your message to 46862, the text line number. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the The 1380thefan app, or on your smart speaker. All free ways to listen if you can't listen on your radio. All right, Jim Harbaugh. National champion at his alma mater as Michigan gets it done 15-0, and uh, which uh didn't realize this, but Nick Saban's never gone 15-0, and so Jim Harbaugh has something over Nick Saban. <laughs> go figure. There you go. As far as being a 15-0 and national champion. Um, but what's next for Michigan? Uh, I, I think you and I are both convinced that Jim Harbaugh will head to the he's, NFL he's for gone. 2024.
1: And you, r- real quick, it, when you look at Jim Harbaugh now, and his body of work, of what he did at Stanford, what he did with the 49ers, and now what has he do, What he's done at Michigan. Where would you put him in terms of modern-day coaches and success?
0: Oh, that's tough because he's won a, a college football national championship, but has not
1: won a Super Bowl. Only three coaches have won both, by the way. So, what, Switzer... Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carroll. Yes. Pete Carroll's the third. So where would you put Jim Harbaugh? Uh,
0: I, mean, I mean, he's like better than a Dennis Erickson, right? Oh yeah. Um, he's, he's better than, I'm trying to think of, is another, one of those other coaches from that Miami era, right? Who won a national title, but also coached in the NFL. I mean, he's at the top of that list of those guys, right? I don't know. It's tough, right? Because he's had success in both. He's reached the the top of it, but he doesn't have the Super Bowl. I
1: not, think if he has yet. the
0: Super Bowl, I mean, he's on a list of his own, as, as we mentioned with Johnson and, and Switzer and
1: Carroll. I, I just, um I, I think, it, have we reached a point where Jim Harbaugh has is one of the for sure he's one of the very few that has had success in recent years in both college and the NFL in terms of coaching. So at the very least you can put him there. but that's why I think the allure to the NFL is too much for Jim Harbaugh because he has unfinished business in the NFL. He's succeeded at college foot in college football. He has nothing to prove. Uh, in terms of, of Jim Harbaugh, I don't think he's like Nick Saban in the sense that Nick Saban is perfectly content, especially after dabbling into the NFL, like he did earlier in his career, perfectly content with racking up national titles and records at Alabama until he's ready to retire. That's not Jim Harbaugh. I, I, I think he looks at the NFL as the place where he has unfinished business, especially after winning the national title with Michigan. And that's where he had, and I will be very surprised if he ends up anywhere other than with the L.A. Chargers. I, I would, too. I think that's the perfect fit where you have a quarterback,
0: you have an offense set up, you have defensive players, you just need players to stay healthy for once, and they need a competent head coach. Harbaugh checks all of those boxes for the Chargers, and it would would be a huge bolt, pun intended, for the Chargers fan base. I mean, this is a team that's overshadowed in their own market right by the Rams. And this could maybe shift that. I mean, this would be, be huge for ticket sales and interest in the chargers. And I think, I really think that's what we're going to see here. So what is next for Michigan? Then, um, is Sharon Moore promoted? I mean, that's the obvious choice, right? Um, is that what they do? Um, he did a good job when Harbaugh was suspended for three games when he filled in on one of those stints. Um, that, to me, seems like the pick if you're going to go in-house and just continue the program culture, which there's no reason to go outside of it, right? I can't think of a candidate outside of it that's going to be a good fit, especially because coming after the season, right, when you've already had a lot of the other positions filled across the board in college football, and you look at what what's to come. Obviously, it's going to be a very different Michigan team. They're going to lose a ton of pieces, I think the, the question is, does Donovan Edwards come, come back? If he does, you feel like at least on offense, you have a, a key piece returning and you have something to build on. If he doesn't, it almost feels like a clean slate starting over for Michigan.
1: And I, and I think this is the big question is is, can Michigan take that next step to where it can go from coach to coach and continue the exceptional play on the field? Is I think that's the big question. Is Can Michigan be Ohio State? Because we saw that from even Jim Trestle. As much as he was kind of much maligned and stuff, couldn't get over the hump and winch national title. He had a really, really good record at, at Ohio State. And his final season in what, 2010? I think only one loss I think in that year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2010 went 12-1. So you went from Jim Trestle you throw in Luke Fickle there for a year, but you go Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, and they've basically been able to continue the standard of being relevant national title contenders pretty much year after year after year for the better part of 15 years. Can Michigan be that now? They have been the last three or so years. Can they continue that? Even if Jim Harbaugh stays, can they continue that? but especially if he departs and they have a new regime is can Michigan stay there? They've gotten back. Can they stay there? And I think for me, that's kind of the biggest question for the Wolverines. The, the, the step that they made is huge, but the biggest step is getting there and staying there. Do they have the staying power?
0: I, I think they do. And someone brings up a, a good point. Did Harbaugh go 15 and 0 or just 9 and 0? Yeah. I mean, that it depends on how they count those wins. I mean, technically, Jim Harbaugh went technically technically 9, and 0. 9 and 0. That is an interesting point. How do they count? I mean, I don't know if those wins count for him on his overall tally. Yeah. Which no, is I'm not sure. interesting. But for Michigan, moving forward, is this, like you mentioned, Ohio State's kept it going, right? Post Urban Meyer post Jim Trestle and the, the scandal there, which is laughable when you look back at yeah. now, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, Kelvin Sampson, you know. Yes. The, the quote-unquote That's quote-unquote
0: scandal, what I you? That is the, the comparison I actually thought of immediately as yes. soon as I said uh, scandal. Uh, but Ohio State, they still went 11-2 and in a transition year this past season, um, and that was without C.J. Stroud. Kyle McCord was serviceable. He transfers out. Michigan's losing a ton. The the new look Big Ten is going to be interesting to see this fall because Washington's losing a lot. Oregon obviously losing Bo Nix, but they got Dylan Gabriel coming in. UCLA is just trying to make money as an athletic department and survive. They have a good defense. They have some pieces coming back. USC, who knows, complete wild card. So will it be Michigan-Ohio State dominating the Big Ten? Again, this coming season, or is this a, a shift,
1: kind of the end of an era for the Big Ten as they add these new teams? I think it's a, a fascinating question, and it all hinges on if Jim Harbaugh moves on, which we think he does, yeah. and whoever takes over that program, if it's just a internal promotion, which it probably will be, especially at this moment in terms of the coaching carousel. But you look at Ohio State, and you take away the Luke Fickle year of 2011. That was kind of a cluster, of course, with all the uh, the scandal and all that stuff. Is Ohio State is only has had just one season dating back to 2005 where they've lost more than three games, which means perennially they have been in the conversation for a national championship every single year for the better part of almost two decades. Okay, is that's the next step for Michigan? is can they be that perennial contender like their arch rival? And I don't know. I I think that's the next step and maybe the biggest step that Michigan has to make. And I don't know if it's possible with a new regime. But if Jim Harbaugh stays, I think that's definitely something that Michigan can do. If he leaves, I don't think so. It's an entirely different conversation altogether, especially as you mentioned, you add more teams into the Big Ten.
0: And I think that's that's the wild card in all this because all the focus has been on Ohio State and Michigan the last handful of years and and really for the last decade because of the successes programs have had and and now it's not a guarantee that the game will decide you know a division or whatnot it's completely different moving forward
1: when you look at the landscape of college football now heading into next year when you talk about the expansion of the into the twelve team playoff. Do you still and, and you look at Michigan and it's unsure basically if Jim Harbaugh's back or not but do do you do you consider Michigan a national title contender going into next year if Jim Harbaugh is not there? No. Do you believe they make the playoff? Wow, do, you're even hesitating on that. I mean, I
0: don't know what they have a quarterback to be honest. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, uh, this, this was a team that had been building for three seasons and they finally got to that mountaintop, but you're losing a ton of people from that. Era. Remember they got Blake Quorum to come back. They got a lot of guys to come back with NIL and they were able to use, utilize it that way as opposed to using NIL in the transfer portal. Well, now portals closed. Yes, there's going to be options in the spring, but it's not going to be the, the same bevy of options that you have. Right after the end of the regular
1: season. And it's not a top ranked recruiting class. It's top 15, I think, ish. Yeah, but that's what Michigan. they've
0: recruited year and year. True. They're not recruiting top five classes with True, Harbaugh. but the problem. They're developing. With, you
1: prob- yes, but with the problem with what you said with the portal largely closed is they can't reload really quick. And Harbaugh was
0: able to get, you know, McCarthy was a five star, right? So he was able to get the elite quarterbacks and some elite players, but overall they're recruiting top 15, top 20. They were not recruiting Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, Clemson, you know, that top
1: five level year in, year out. If you had to say the national championship goes through blank for next year, as early as it is, would you go back to Georgia? First? Yes. Yes, I would. You would. Okay. I have a tendency to, agree. I, I would at say, this
0: point. I would say Georgia, and then the, the one exception would be, it depends on what Quinn Ewers does at Texas. True. If he returns, I think they would be
1: the 1B to Georgia's 1A. Do you think the Big Ten goes through not Columbus or Ann Arbor, but Eugene, Oregon? Yes, I do. The changing of the, the tide in, uh, in college football. All of a sudden talking about the Big Ten favorite from Oregon with the Ducks.
0: 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Coming up next, Teddy Bruski, of all people, goes off in support of Justin Fields. What he had to say next here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line again, 46862. Also, don't forget you can listen in. 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or on your smart speaker as well Uh, throughout the course of the show each and every morning. Teddy Bruschi, of all people, is defending Justin Fields. Here's what Bruschi had to say on Sunday NFL Countdown before the Week 18 Sunday slate of games, talking about Justin Fields and his lack of respect from officials. And let me just
2: go off on a tangent a little bit uh, right here when it comes to Justin Fields and get to the officiating on how these officials look at him, okay, because I've seen enough of him getting hit when he slides, getting hit uh, illegally when they should be calls. I'm calling this is what Eberflus should have been doing for the last four weeks. It's like, listen, man, you've got a franchise quarterback here and these guys are no, teeing, on teeing off on this guy and these officials think just because oh. he's big, strong, and fast that when he starts to slide, he really doesn't mean it. So I gotta slam him down. I gotta do things like this because, ref, how am I supposed to bring him down? What are the officials gonna give him the respect that he deserves because this can be the future of the league in this guy's face right here in justin Fields'
1: future of the league yeah i I don't don't know about that. i'm not going into that about franchise quarterback and future we'll we'll skip that part but but i will agree that he did justin fields did not have a single roughing the passer call on him which is unbelievable which is unreal and some of the and if you go back and watch the clip and there's they're they're showing clips of justin fields and and the physicality used with him if you put Patrick Mahomes in any of those situations, it's a flag every day. But Justin Fields doesn't get the respect in the NFL because he's not a star. I understand that, but a call is a call is a call, and he just took enormous punishment all season long without a single single flag.
0: It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable. And again, Patrick Mahomes is getting those calls right. Yes. We don't have any... Aaron Joe Rogers Burrow gets those, calls. gets
1: those calls. Joe Burrow gets those uh, calls.
0: You know who's not getting those calls as much? Lamar
1: Jackson. Justin yeah, Fields. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't it, think uh, like Tua gets those calls. No. Um, I also think you
0: go back, if Michael Vick is playing in today's NFL, is he getting those calls? Yeah, I don't think I don't, so. I don't
1: think Jalen Hurts is getting those calls. So, I, I agree. I, I do think... And that's, I think, where the, where, the, where the NFL needs to evolve because I think you're seeing they've, they've protected the quarterbacks in the pocket with so many rules, but they haven't taken as many liberties with the rules in terms of protecting quarterbacks outside of the pocket or if they're running. And I do think eventually they're going to need to, to, to make some, some adjustments, but I do think what, is, what a call is from Patrick Mahomes isn't necessarily the call for Justin Fields, what a call for Aaron Rodgers is, isn't necessarily what the call is for her Cousins, for example. Uh, I do think there are there are levels of that and, and the punishment that Justin Fields took, some of it is of, of his own making, but man, not getting a single penalty this year, all year, for roughing the passer or any th- type of, uh, of targeting or malicious hit downfield is, is insane to me.
0: Four six eight six two, your text line number. Four six eight six two. Coming up on the other side, Mike Nutter, 10 caps team president, will join us talk about their 2024 promotions. Yes, the schedule is out. Tickets go on sale in about a month, and there's plenty of work going down at Parkview Field. We'll talk about all that and more with Mike Nutter next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan and one hundred point nine FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line number. Again, 46862. Michigan may have won the national championship, but, hey, Ohio State got a big player in the portal. So Ohio State fans can celebrate that today.
1: Yes, they can with, uh, what's it, Judkins from Ole Ole Miss. Miss. Quinshawn Judkins, who
0: surprisingly put his name in the portal for an Ole Miss team that should be quite good next year, uh, going to Columbus. So interesting move by him there.
1: And you said basically he was a guy that said, I want 800000 or that, I'm leaving. Yes. which And, is, and he left because he, Ole Miss <laughs> called his bluff. <laughs> now, the, the San Diego Padres, of course, what would they do if our next guest would say, I want 800000 or I'm leaving? Yeah, Mike Nutter, w- would would the Padres call your bluff or would they pay up?
2: They would say it was great working with you, Mike. <laughs> <friend. laughs> that is a postcard from whatever beach in Florida you head to. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's probably true for us as well. Uh, But Mike Dutter, Tin Caps, team president, joining us on the guest line. And Mike, it's hard to believe, less than a month away from tickets going on sale, two months away, or well, three months away from the season starting, getting ahead of myself on there uh, at Parkview Field on April 9th. But the promotional schedule is out and there are some very, very fun promotions, including a bluey day, Jim O'Hare, who played Jerry, Larry, Gary, Terry, on Parks and Rec, and also actor Chauncey Leopardi, who played Squints in The Sandlot, all part of some of these promotions. Um, th- how do these things come together to, to bring in actors and people like that for these promotions?
2: Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I was talking with Justin off air. It was about as the sloppiest day driving into the ballpark this morning, but the three of us and all the listeners can think of brighter days ahead. And so Uh, The promotional schedule has been a work in progress for months. Michael Limmer, our VP of marketing and Morgan Olson and the whole crew on the marketing side has been working hard. Uh, They came to me a couple months ago. We've had great success with the office and some of the characters out here the last couple years. And they said, Hey, we want to get Jim O'Hare out here. Parks and Rec kind of has that same cult-like following and it's time to mix it up. Admittedly, for the guys closer to our age, we also looked at some Seinfeld characters. We couldn't find a, a great date to work it with the Soup Nazi and some other characters that were on there. And so, you know, we, we want to do some of the pop culture stuff that, that is really fun. And so uh, we were working with his representatives. We got them out of here. Uh, we're excited. We've always done VIP stuff. We're the big diehard fans. It's usually limited to 100 or 200 can get packages ahead of time to get pictures and autographs and social media stuff and selfies. And all the actors we've had out here have been great. Uh, Squints, my man, I think I've heard him in the background when my son was playing travel baseball roughly 800 times, driving to and from tournaments. So The Sandlot is a huge movie around our house, and the kids grew up on it. And then there's some other stuff. Um, With the passing of Jimmy Buffett last year, uh, there's a fully licensed Margaritaville night with his estate that we can do. We've come a long way. Several years ago, we got a cease and desist letter saying you can't use that term. (laughs) And so now we're, we're doing it. We've done some Harry Potter stuff years ago. We had to get creative, calling it wands and wizards and things like that the last few times we did it. Again, now it's a fully licensed Harry Potter night that Major League Baseball was able to, to work through and get for all of the um, minor league teams, and so we're really, really excited about that. So there's a lot of cool stuff. Some of the regular stuff that we've seen before, and then some new stuff. Uh, you mentioned it, the Meet Bluey Day. I didn't think anything could top what last year's Paw Patrol Day was. But the staff has told me that I have no idea when it comes to Bluey, it'll just blow it out of the water.
1: Yeah, Bluey is big time. That's what I'm told. I'm not there yet with. Uh, our one-year-old, but everybody tells me that that time is coming. But I uh, wanted to ask you, too, about uh, about May, May 23rd and Fort Wayne Wizards throwback night. That kind of caught my eye, too, of course, celebrating 15 years at Parkview Field this upcoming season, and uh, it's always nice to, to, to throw it back sometimes to the Wizards. So, what's on tap for May 23rd?
2: You know what? Last year, we did it, and we, we had done it a couple other times here, but, fellas, it, it was always a success. But last year it was on a level that we couldn't imagine and we had no idea it would be that way. It is, and I, I don't like to come on here and talk about money or things like that, but it, was, it is in the history of Parkview Field the single biggest merchandise event we've ever done was last year's throwback. And what we learned was we've gotten far enough from it and there's enough young now husbands and wives and moms and dads they grew up maybe going to the games, and now they've got kids. And so we had a line legitimately, literally, for an hour before the gates opened. When the gates opened, people sprinted in, and so they, they cleaned us out of the merchandise. <laughs> so we, I, Brian Shacko and Lemmer and Lorenz and I and Jared Parcell, some of the guys been around a long time, were laughing and joking, saying this many people didn't want the merch when we actually <laughs> were the Wizards. And so it kind of struck on that. Uh, throwback, kind of that nostalgia type thing. So last year, Wayne and Dinger were out here for the game. I would expect them back. Last year, we did a bobblehead with uh, Wayne the Wizard. I think we might do one with Dinger this time around. We did throwback promotions. The, guy wore, the guys wore the jerseys. We did a lot of the graphics and played that soundbite of amazing baseball and that kind of stuff and had a blast with it. And the fans told us do it again. In fact, we heard a lot of feedback. Do it for an entire weekend. We looked at that, but we had so many other things we wanted to mix in. Right now we're just going to do it for a day, but it should be an absolute blast and a lot of fun.
0: Tin Caps President Mike Nutter joins us on the guest line. And, Mike, my favorite promotion last year uh, was the Hoosier State Tenderloin Series. That returns, and this year it'll return in June, June 20th through 22nd. What was the feedback you got from fans on that initial outing of of that special branded uniform and series
2: they loved it we were on mlb the mlb network about a month or so ago as one of six alternate identities that were up for a national award it was on the big the big network i mean with the big shows and when they're giving away the mvp and the cy young the hoosier state tenderloins were up there we joked again we never take ourselves so seriously we joked again that it It might be one of the tackiest jerseys we've – well, I think it's the tackiest one we've ever done. But it resonated with people. And on the jersey had every, uh, you know, county in the state of Indiana listed, you know, in the logo and stuff. People loved, like, the state fair, the county fair type of feel. Maybe in our case more like the Three Rivers Fest or the Midway, you know, out in the outfield with the dunk tanks and the inflatables and things like that. I joked that you know Bill Wayne, our long-tenured food and beverage director, before the weekend that year, last year, I said, "Now we got enough fusion tenderloins." And oh yeah, man, there's no possible way we can sell through all these this weekend. Great, you know, he came to me at a deer in the headlights about the eighth inning of Game One and said, <laughs> "We just placed a reorder. We've sold a thousand tonight, and we got no chance." And so, <laughs> you know, again, we try and be silly and quirky. We don't want to offend and do stuff, but it's like. You know, hey, this is the silly, goofy stuff, and people just literally ate up the sandwiches, but also the promotion. You know, another one on here, um, Johnny's version on June 7th. Again, we've got to be really delicate with the attorneys out there, Uh, but that'll be a fun night. You know, I, I saw somebody yesterday put right away on Twitter, I think I know what this means. I plan on coming out there with all my Swifties and Shake It Off and stuff like that. <laughs> and so there's, there's some fun stuff there. Uh, then there's also some of this stuff, the Love and Roses night. Um, you know, people have really, really, it, it, you know, um, migrated to The Bachelor or Bachelorette and some of that stuff. And so that's the theme around the May 17th. And then there's some other stuff that, again, we like to be goofy and we like to be silly, uh, but the Mental Health Awareness Night, you know, at my house, my uh, daughter has battled some mental health stuff that we've been very open about to try and get other people help. We want to always continue to be a safe place for, for things like that. Um, the daisies Night, the, the attention that we've brought to women and girls and women's sports and stuff has been awesome. And then some of the stuff with Parkview, with the stroke awareness and the cancer awareness stuff, issues that we all deal with, that it's really important to use this vessel of baseball to still try and advance some things like that. And maybe someday there'll be cures for some of this stuff, but we want to be a part of the solution as well.
1: Some standards coming back, of course, with the Tuesday family feast nights and and fireworks starting in May, all Friday and Saturday nights. I wanted to ask you, too, about Paws and Claws, because when it first started, and we see him at Major League Parks sometimes occasionally, I'm like, there's no way... This is going to catch, like, who wants to take their dog to a baseball game? But it's become pretty crazy, especially for you guys, as, as Caleb's raising his hand, takes his dog out there on Wednesday pause and Claws night. But it's just something of these concepts is you never know what's going to hit and what not hit, and pause and Claws nights have become some of your, your biggest nights. You're exactly
2: right, and I, I wasn't sure either. And I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong, or I just don't <laughs> understand something. But you're exactly right. I think last year we had two of the Wednesdays. Uh, Brenda Feesby on our staff runs it. She's so great with it. She loves it. Um, but I think it was the first time we had over 100 dogs on a couple of weeks and things like that, and people are into it, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Fellas, I got a golden doodle at home. I'm normally not on a morning like this, but I try and walk her three to five miles or jog every morning uh, year-round, but today I couldn't get out there with the slush. But I, didn't, I never grew up with a dog. So I had no idea. And she really is a member of our family, and I had no idea. I know that might sound ignorant to some people, but I never had one. We never had them and stuff like that. And so some of the stuff, now we go to these places. We go to a Padre game or we'll go see a Reds game or another minor league thing, and my wife's in there, and it's like, hey, do they have a a dog collar or a dog leash or something like that? And so we've tried to embrace it, and the fans really have as well, and – Everybody, but maybe our cleaning team loves that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mike Nutter with us. Mike, other things happening at Parkview Field. Uh, you guys have had a lot of work this offseason. New field, new front steps, uh, some improvements, I believe, to the scoreboard as well. How are all those projects going?
2: Really well. Uh, the field is, for all intents and purposes, done and got in in, in plenty of time. And so uh, the majority, of 99% of that is done. We need to do one thing on the warning track, but no issues there. Uh, The front steps are totally done. And then the treetops is the other one that it's over a million-dollar project with the leaking and some of the stuff up there. Um, They are way ahead. Now, after what we all woke up to today, there might not be any work the rest of this week, but that project was supposed to take us until May 1st, and uh, we should be done well in advance of that. So we're really, really excited about that. And, uh, you know, we're not totally there yet. But we're working right now on what other capital expenditures will go into the ballpark. What are we changing with food menus and updating and things like that? Because we don't want to just sit back and rest on our laurels. The reality of it is we had a great team last year. We made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. The Padres have given no final, formal indication. But we're certainly optimistic and hopeful Johnny Matthews will be back to lead the team. We hope that's the case. We think that's the case. Uh, they're just working through stuff there. And then we also want to just look at, hey, what? how do we keep this thing fresh? Mother Nature was very kind to us last year. The fans came back as we got further away from COVID, and attendance was up 40,000 people through the door last season. And so that's why we're not going to just sit back and say, hey, okay, we're we're good now. I mean, we're not programmed that way. And so – um, we're going to continue to do what we can. And that's why we're back up to 31 fireworks shows and all these promotions because the fans have really taken to us as they have for the Comets all these years and so many other things around here. We're just excited to keep the train rolling.
0: And Mike, real quick, before we let you go, you mentioned food and concessions. Well, Tin Caps already hiring for part-time positions for this summer. What uh, what do people need to know to, to if they're interested in that to get some more information?
2: No question. Tincapsjobs.com. It'll take them exactly where they need to go. We've upped pay rates over the last several years. Um, They're they're very competitive. It's a great place for high school and college kids and retirees, and I appreciate you doing that. It was a lot better last year than it was closer to COVID, but we could always use more help. Tincapsjobs.com.
0: Mike Nutter, Tincaps president joining us. Mike, as always, appreciate it and Even though we have snow on the ground, baseball season is not that far off.
2: Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week.
0: That's Mike Nutter with us. Coming up on the other side, speaking of the snow in Canada, the Parks Department is urging people not to do this with Moose. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Tuesday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning. So, Parks officials in Canada urging drivers not to stop on highways, To let moose lick the salt off their cars.
1: (laughs) Uh, So people do that just to get them close or to clean their cars off? I guess.
0: But allowing moose to lick road salt from the cars can cause them to lose their fear of roads and vehicles. Yeah. Um, It puts moose at risk of being injured or killed if they get hit by a vehicle. Also, again, moose are very dangerous as well. It's a lot worse hitting a moose than a deer. You're more likely to die. Um, But... Average nearly four moose are killed in the area of Alberta's Jasper National Park each year. They wander out onto major roads, uh, and they posted signs in the the past, do not let moose lick your car.
1: Um, But this (laughs) apparently is a problem that they have to address. Please do not let the moose lick your car, or any other animal, or human being for that matter. There's no licking of vehicles whatsoever. Yeah, No licking. No thank you. The moose would be having a field day here today. Yes. Yes, they Uh, will. Plenty of salt on the ground, I'm sure.
0: That wraps it up for us today. Thanks to Mike Nutter for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3-4. to And the Sports Rush with Brett Rupp. Another chance to win a four-pack of vouchers to the Circus coming up January 26th through 28th at the Coliseum. From 4-6. to All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.